Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. Today we're going to get into the nitty gritties of the 1090, 40, 60. What do they all mean? What one's the best for me? I hear all of these debates all across the board on the YouTube channels and the podcast channels. What are the differences and what does that mean to me and what should I be doing in my own life? So that's what we're going to talk about here today. And I ask y'all joining us, are your dollars making sense. So welcome back to another episode of the Money Multiplier podcast. And we're going to talk about the perfect design today. What is that perfect policy design? And for my listeners out there, I'm using some air quotes right now. Okay, because we'll get into it. We're going to get into all the hot trends when discussing the infinite banking concept. And um, as we get into this discussion, I'm just going to preface this and say that some of y'all, we may agree just to disagree agree in this conversation, all right? In my personal firm belief, I don't think there's any silver bullet out there that conforms or helps everybody in everybody's situation and what they're doing. So this conversation, I am coming at it from an angle that my family, we've been around this concept for the last 15 going on now, 16 years, and I've had my own personal policies uh, starting out six years ago. So I've been Uh, implementing this in my own life for now six years because here's the catch I'm going on I'll be 24 this year you got to be 18 in order to own one of these infinite banking policies so uh, so that's why I've just been doing it for six years but I mean, this is all that I've known, y'all. I, I think one thing that really helps me is, is that I can cut through all of that financial bullshit that's out there, pardon my French, and I can really deliver like the facts of what's coming because some people, they just get so intertwined into personal opinion and, and what the conventional wisdom and thinking is out there revolving around money. And to be honest with y'all, here's the Will Rogers quote. Will Rogers says the problem in America isn't so much what people don't know, it's what they think they know that just ain't so. So here comes a Nelson Nash quote to y'all. This is why Nelson Nash literally talks about the arrival syndrome in his book. I mean, everything is always ongoing, evolving, and changing. And so it's just good to be informed of what else is going on out there, but don't get caught up in all the noise and and what the masses are doing. Here's my, here's my uh, lifestyle advice for y'all right now. Stop taking advice from your broke ass brother-in-law and start following those people that you see their lifestyle and you want to follow in those same footsteps of their lifestyle. They are the ones that you should be listening to and figuring out, all right, what are you doing? What mistakes did you make? Because then I'm going to avoid those mistakes and keep going down that same path of financial freedom. Because, you know, and I do agree, money is not everything, right? However, money is a very big, powerful resource and tool when you have it. And um, and actually, there was this uh, video out there, I forgot who posted it, it's it's a big... um, influencer out there but he talked about how he had like a wad of cash and he was like look money literally doesn't do anything if I just sit the money here it's just gonna sit there it's not gonna do anything so money is nothing more than just a resource and a tool and money is nothing more than just the exchange currency we we exchange money for products goods and services all day long right money for food food for money money for car car for money money for house house for money right that's all we do with money all day long so we just got to understand this tool and this resource that we're dealt here in this century that we're living here in the great states of the United United States of America, right? So, so it's just a resource that we got to understand and a tool of how to use. And if you really master this tool, you can leverage it in a very great manner that, hey, we can take the time freedom back. Isn't the whole reason that we're sitting here and discussing today to learn and to educate ourselves more about this is so that, hey, I don't want to spend my hours trading my hours for money. I want to know a way of how I can put my money, what my mom calls the little green men, go put it out there to work so that I can take that time freedom back. I can go on camping trips for weeks at a time and not have to answer my cell phone because I'm making money out there. My little green men are making money for me, right? So 
All right, um, a few announcements before we get into this. Um, 23 and 23, you hear me say it all the time. We're alive, baby. We're coming out to uh, your city, hopefully close to you. And I got some ideas that are coming up for the 2024 um, year as well. But let's just try to make it past 2023, Hannah. All right. So, uh, so, so exciting things. Click on the link down below, themoneymultiplier.com forward slash events, and you can see all the events and where we will be coming at, hopefully in your area. All right, let's get into it. The first topic I want to talk about is, is that it's whole life, right? I am not talking about IULs, VULs, EBCIODULs, right? I'm just making that up, right? So, so all we're here talking about when we're having the discussion of what is the best vehicle to use for the infinite banking concept, it is a whole life policy. I have other podcast episodes on the differences um, between those different products that are out there on the market. So I'm not going to get into it in this showing, uh, but go back to the past episodes and, and I've titled it on there. I think I believe I called it product talk. So we're using whole life policies. Let's talk about the why. Why are we using whole life policies? Well, number one, we're not reinventing the wheel, right? The number one purchasers of whole life insurance in the world are conventional banks. So all we're doing is we're just mimicking and imitating what conventional banks are doing. So go look that up. BOLI, B-O-L-I, stands for Bank Owned Life Insurance. And so they only hold whole life policies. Why are they not buying any of those IULs, VULs, and things like that? All right, just put your thinking cap on. So we're using whole life. Why we're using whole life? Number one, BOLI. Number two, the guaranteed accumulation, right? When you are using a whole life insurance policy, you're not tying your dollars to what the market's doing, what the Fed is putting out for their rates, what central banks are doing, who the president is and who the president is pissing off in the world today, right? Your policy is a contract between you and the insurance company. And inside of that contract, you have a contractual guaranteed interest that the insurance company is promising you. So I don't want to leave my nest egg or my dollars of my storage of wealth inside of an environment that's going to go up or down based on these external factors that I can't dictate. So we're using whole life because it's not tied and it's not going to go up or down based to things that we simply cannot control. So it's got the guaranteed accumulation in there and that's what we want. I want boring guarantees inside of my contracts of where I'm holding the majority of my wealth. Because reminder, the policy is nothing more than just your storage of the wealth. This is nothing more than the pass through for your money to go buy your investments, go buy your products and services. The policy is not, is not, is not the investment itself. Right, it's the process of how we go buy our investment transactions in life. Um, another thing, I'm not going to get into it on this episode, but I have another episode that I labeled "What is the best insurance company I should work with." So another factor that plays into when we're setting up these specifically engineered policies is is that you want to work with a strong, mutually held company that has been around for a long, long time. So. We have five different mutually owned companies that the money multiplier does business with over here. And you know, I'm not married to any one company. I say that all the time too. Not married to any one company. But there is some reasons of why I would take one person to one company versus the other. And that's some of the discussion that we're going to get in here today, because if you are trying to design a policy, a 1090 plan design, well, you can't do that at specific carriers because they literally don't even allow you to go that minimum on the base premium and that high on the paid up additions riders. So there's a reason of why I have these different mutually mutual companies underneath my belt because everybody's different. Like I mentioned before, there's no one silver bullet out there. And that's why it's important who you're working with, you know, work with somebody that really specializes in this infinite banking concept. So let's get into the next thing I want to talk about before we dive in deeper. 
base premium and paid up editions rider. I have another video out there on this, but just real quick, we'll do high levels. When we are having this discussion of these policies, you are going to determine the premium that you want to put into that policy. So this premium, I call them deposits because it really gets my mind geared into thinking about it as my deposits into my privatized banking system. And so when you have these premiums, doesn't matter. I got folks who do a hundred bucks a month and I got folks who do a million dollars a month. All right. So you just pick a number in between there of where you want to start as your premiums. I'm just going to use an example of 10,000 because in here in today's um, episode, that is what I use in my example is a 10,000 premium. Now, with these 10,000 premiums, you tell me, all right, Hannah, this is what I want to do. With the 10,000 premium, I split it up into two moving parts. A fraction of it goes to what's called the base premium. The other fraction goes to what's called the paid up addition riders. So let's quickly explain what those are. I like to use the analogy of a rocket ship, all right? If you picture your policy like a rocket ship, you got the base of the rocket, that's your base premium. Then you got attached onto the rocket ship, you got these booster rockets, right? Picture your booster rockets. Those are your paid up addition riders. We call them PUA for short. All right, so if you ever hear me say PUA, PUA equals paid up addition riders. And so what's happening is, is that we're overfunding the paid up addition riders. So what's happening is, is that in the early years of your policy, this is where our cash values are coming from. So to take it back to my rocket ship analogy, you know, once you are starting that rocket ship up, you're getting in it, you're going up, right? <laughs> so you're getting in there and you're going up and, and what's happening, what's getting you out of the sky and out of the atmosphere are the booster rockets. So the booster rockets are what's attached on to the rocket ship. Those are your paid up additions. Well, now, once our rocket ship gets out of the sky, out of the atmosphere, what happens to our booster rockets? They simply fall off the rocket ship. And why do they fall off? Well, they fall off because they're simply not needed anymore. They're out of fuel, they're out of gas, so we don't need it anymore to sustain the cash growth of what's happening inside of that policy, sorry, I just combined them. <laughs> That's okay. Um, um, let, let me go back and let me explain that. With, with the with the rocket ship analogy, if you um, you drop off the booster rockets because they're not needed anymore, they're out of fuel. Same analogy when we're talking about the policies. The paid up addition riders, as time goes on and we get further into the years and our policy gets more aged, seasoned, and matured, we do not need the paid up addition riders anymore to keep sustaining the cash growth of what's happening inside of the policy. Now, I'll post a little image up there on the screen too. I'll show the camera as well. Literally, here's my notes. <laughs> here's my notes on my little notepad. Look, I created a little chart for y'all, okay? So I'll put it up there. I'll put it on um, so you can see clearly um, up there on the screen. But here is what's happening. I hope this visual helps some folks because one thing a lot of people love to do is discredit the base premium. Y'all, stop discrediting the base premium. The base premium is important, and I will share more details on that as we get further into this discussion. But you'll notice in this chart you know, our, our axis, we have the years going from left to right, and then we have the cash growth going up and down. So the base premium is that dotted line. This is the cash value that's generating from the base premium. And it's just a long increasing, ever going inclining scale, right? 
However, you'll notice that in these early years, it doesn't have a lot of cash value that's generating from that base premium. So what we do to be able to exercise this concept and really start banking with the policies is we add on the paid up addition riders. And so you'll notice that the paid up additions right off the bat, they got cash coming from them. They have cash coming from them and they are also on an ever increasing uh, scale as well. But then there comes a point in time where that base premium and the paid up addition riders, they meet and then they keep going up on that inclining scale together. So that's what we're doing because there's no special juju or sauce that I'm doing over here on these policies. I'm just adding on this paid up additions rider so that I'm able to get out some cash values within these early years and not have to wait until the policy is matured to be able to use the cash value growth that's inside of there. So, okay, that's my first chart. I hope that helps. And I will post that up so you can see it. And now let's real quick. So we talked about the base premium. We talked about the paid up edition riders. Real quick, let's talk about this. I had this conversation with a gentleman last week. I think this may be important, maybe for some of my analyticals out there. He asked me the question of, well, Hannah, what really is the paid up additions rider? I mean, what is it, right? So let's just go back to textbook terminology of what a paid up addition rider is. It is nothing more than just a paid up insurance on a policy. So a whole life policy contract, it has always been built since day one prior to 1913, all right, that's how long these vehicles have been out. Tax code's only been here since 1913. It's been around longer than that. So when these vehicles first came out, they've always had a cash value growth that's coming from them. You know, just like the analogy I'll sometimes use is like a house, right? Why do we buy a house? Well, I buy a house because I want the ownership and I want to build up the appreciating asset that it is and also the equity that's coming from and producing from that house. Well, same thing with the policies. It's just in these early years, if you just have a regular designed whole life policy, aka 100% base premium going towards it, it's not going to have as much cash value in those early years. So this paid up edition rider, all it is, it's buying you paid up insurance. So it's going in there and buying us some death benefit, but then it's also buying us that cash value that's generating from that rider when we're plugging dollars into it. So it's nothing more than just like a one year, almost you can call it like a single premium uh, um, that you're putting into that policy to be able to get the cash growth that's coming from it immediately. So that's really what a paid up additions rider is its main objective is its cash but it also buys us a little bit of death benefit as well now I'm going off the rails here just a second but let me just get this out there a lot of people also have the misconception that Hannah you know I'm doing this just for the cash value banking I want the lowest death benefit that I possibly can have and so sometimes Folks just don't understand that you can't put money inside of a whole life policy without increasing the death benefit. There is literally no way to get dollars inside of a whole life contract, I guess, unless I guess if you pay back policy loans, but without increasing the death benefit. Any new money that's going in is always going to increase the death benefit and it's always going to increase the cash values inside of that policy. So anyways, just something I was thinking about. Sometimes I, I hear that a lot and I just want to provide more context around it. The next definition and last one I want to talk about is the term rider. All right. So when we get into this discussion of 1090s and things like that, you have to add on what's called a term rider to that policy to avoid the mech status. 
I'm not going to get into mech right now. I have a podcast episode on this. You notice now I'm saying that, oh, Hannah, you got a lot of resources out there. Maybe I should go explore your resources before I come to you and ask this question. Oh, that's a bright idea, listener. Okay, anyways, let's keep going. So so I'm not going to get into all of this, but all you need to know is the mech limit on the policy. Mech stands for Modified Endowment Contract, and all it is, it's an imaginary line throughout all policy contracts. What we don't want to do is we don't want to go over this imaginary line and overstuff the policy. Because if we overstuff the contract, then now the government is going to look at this as an investment. And now they're going to uh, get us some tax consequences that's happening within that policy. So what has to happen is, is that if you're totally supercharging, totally overfunding that paid up additions rider to its maximum capacity, you're going to have to add on this term rider to avoid the mech status, aka tax consequences. So all a term rider is, it's just that term insurance in the traditional sense that everybody knows about. All right. So it's just renting this death benefit for this set amount of time. And, and we like it because it's cheap, right? That's why we like term. It's cheap, but it's just renting us that death benefit and it's not building us any cash values. So here's another little tidbit for my um, folks out there who've been following for a while. The, the death benefit and the mech limit really run hand in hand together. So that's why when you always ask me the question of, you know, hey, where will my mech limit be later on down the years in my policy's life? I just simply don't know because your death benefit is, uh, is on an ever increasing incline. And so then your mech limit is as well on an ever increasing incline as well. So Anywho, anywho, so so with the term riders, that's why we need them on the policy is just to support the cash that we're trying to funnel through and keep all of the growth uh, tax free. All right, let's get into it. You can see up here on the screen now that we are going to be talking about the 1090 policy first. All right, 1090. Now, this is coming from the same company. Again, Company does not play a big role into this. Just like how I told you on the forefront, I work with five different mutually owned companies. My family holds policies with six different mutual companies. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Really what comes down to it is, is that you want a strong, stable, mutually owned company, one that understands and supports the infinite banking concept, allows us to design the policy properly this way, and allows us to take out our loans immediately from the policy. So the companies and dividend rates and all that stuff, that's all nuances, y'all. Stop tripping over dollars to pick up pennies and stop trying to rub two pennies together until the beavers fart, okay? So so, so y'all really need to stop getting into all of the weeds of everything. And when you really understand the concept in a whole, it, the dollars just follow with it, all right? So let's start off with 1090 because this is the big, big one that everybody wants to talk about. And there's some other folks out there who are just, all they do is all 1090 policy designs and they have a firm belief that 1090 or, or the highways is what you gotta do, right? There's no better design than the 1090 policy design. I'll tell you one thing, if Nelson Nash really thought a 1090 policy design was the best thing ever, he would include that in some of his material and some of the discussion that the Nelson Nash Institute is doing even till this day here in the year of 2023. Yes, I know the late Nelson, you, you know, uh, he, he did pass away in March of uh, 2019. So um, he, even still to this day, you know, his, his son-in-law that, that's running the school, you know, they, they still to this day are not big fans of these 1090s because it violates a lot of the principles of what Nelson Nash teaches us when we are becoming our own banker now. Because again, it's not the product, y'all. It's the process. That's what we're sitting here talking talking about. So in this policy design, you see up here, I have it circled. All right. This is exactly how the policy is made up. You got your base premium, uh, 1000 
and $5 is going to the base. Then you got your paid up additions and you got the term rider as well added on. So 8750 is going towards the paid up additions. 1000 is going to the base and 245 is going towards the uh, term rider here. Now again, we have to add on the term rider because if we don't, this policy would mech in the first year and we would have some tax consequences. So we have the term rider on here for 10 years and then we're dropping it off because, you know, hey, it's just not needed anymore, all right? So in this example, you can see that the first year, he's got 8,600 in cash values this first year. So he put in 10, he's got 8,600. He's got an access to 86% this first year. And his death benefit, you can see is, is uh, 354.718. I know I circled the wrong column here and I apologize, but, but it's actually this column to the left here. Total death benefit end year is what we're looking at. So year one, he's got 86. Now let's take a look at our 4060 policy design. On the 4060 policy design, first year, all right? Now notice before we get into it, look at how the base premium and the paid up additions rider split up. You got 4,000 that's going towards the base and you got 6,000 that's going towards the paid up additions. Now you don't have to add term on this policy because you don't need it. It's not mecking uh, within this policy. Now here's my personal opinion. I am not a big fan of term. If we have to add it on and it makes some sense in, in some financial situations, let's add it on to the policy. But in my firm belief, I would just rather have my dollar going towards something that actually produces me cash value and cash growth and not just going towards something that's renting this death benefit that I may never see and I hopefully never see, right? Because you would actually win if you actually graduate, aka pass away during that time that that term writer is set there. So how much fun would that be if you actually passed away, right? That's what I'm saying. So I'm not a huge fan of term just because I would rather have my money going towards something that's working for me, putting my little green men to work, right? So in this example, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about 4060s, all right? 40% of that 10,000 goes to the base and 60% goes to the paid up addition riders. That's what we're talking about, 40, 60, 40 uh, base, 60 paid up additions, that percentage between the base and the PUA. On the 1090 policy design, that's why we call it 1090. 10% is going to the base premium, 90% is going towards the paid up addition riders, right? Following so far. So on our 40, 60 policy design, year one, we have 6,300 and some change. So in year one, I'm getting 63% is my cash that I can take out the first year. So now I do agree. This is where the 1090 and 4060 debate starts coming into play because, oh my gosh, Hannah, well, why would I just go with this 1090 policy design, get that upfront most cash value out that I can rather than just this 63% that I'm getting over here when I'm doing my uh, uh, 4060 policy design, right? I get it, okay? I get it, I absolutely agree. So now let me just introduce the story of the tortoise and the hare real quick, okay? Because this is how I use the analogy of explaining a 1090 versus like a 4060 policy design. So your 1090 policy design, this is your hare, okay? Your 1090 policy design, this is going to get you and you are gonna be ahead of in the race in the early years of that policy. But our tortoise, as time goes on, the hair gets sleepy, the hair gets a little cocky, and the hair starts taking a nap. Now the tortoise is catching up and it's coming in into the race. Your tortoise, that is your 4060 policy design. There comes a point in these designs where the, it crosses over. Your 4060 is going to become greater in the cash accumulation than what your 1090 policy will be. 
But the big thing that a lot of people don't understand is they are also violating another one of Nelson's rules where they are not thinking long range. So that's where this debate of 10, 90, 40, 60 really comes head to head is, is that I do agree. You're going to have more cash value out in a 1090 policy design between a 40, 60, but let's look at this for the long run, because I tell y'all this, when I go out and I teach this stuff, whether it be live seminars, the podcast or weekly live webinars, you know, I tell y'all all the time, Everybody's got their own needs, their own goals of where they're at right now within their lifestyle. So your needs and goals, maybe you're 65 years old, they're going to be different from me over here in my 20s. I get it. And again, that's why it's very important to work with a mentor that understands this stuff, understands your circumstances so that they're designing you a policy for your best needs, your best goals. All right, I'm off my soapbox. Let's continue moving on. So that's year one, okay? Oh, let's also look to death benefit. So on your 4060 policy design, death benefit year one is 319. On the 1090, it was 354. So you get more death benefit over there in the 1090. Reason that the big reason as to why it's because of that uh, term rider. It's buying you that big bulk of death benefit there. All right, let's go to year five. Year five, 1090. I got a cash value bucket of 49.5. On our 4060, I got a cash value bucket of 43.6. So my 1090 policy, I'm still ahead, right? I got a, and I did the math on this. I'll post up this as well. But I did the math, what my cash on cash growth is in year five. I get, I'm getting 112% on my 1090 policy design. And over here on my 4060, I'm getting a 109% growth. So my 1090 is still in the lead. They're, they're running up and, and they're leading. Let's go to year 10 now, year 10. On my 1090 policy design, I got a cash value of 114. Compared to my 4060, I got a cash value of 107. So my 1090 policy is still in the lead. I got 143% growth over there, where on my 4060, I got 140% growth over there. All right, 1090 is still in the lead. We're here in year 10. Now, let's get to year 15. Year 15, on my 1090 policy design, I got 150,000 of cash value growth. On my 4060 design, I have 157 of cash value growth. I'm ahead now. I'm ahead in my 4060 design. Really, the break-even years in these two examples is actually year 13, but I'm just kind of keeping it easy going the um, even-numbered years there. So now, year 15 we have reached that crossover period. We've reached the crossover period where our 4060 is on our incline and, and it hit the 1090 cash growth and now they're still going ahead. And actually, I'm glad that you can see me because I, I hopefully my hands will make sense here, but let me just do it. Here's your 4060. 4060 is going up and up. Your 1090 was already right here. So now they match and now it's gonna keep growing up like that together, okay? So, and take a look at the screen too. You, you got the numbers right there up on the charts. And I mean, this comes directly from a policy illustration. All right, y'all. So this comes directly from the insurance company's websites um, and their design platform when you're illustrating these types of products. I want to look at death benefit now. What is death benefit in year 15? On my 4060 design, I have 616,000. On my 1090, I got 725,000. So my 1090 policy, I'm still ahead in these death benefits. Reason being, it's because I got that term rider that's sitting there on that policy. Let's continue going on. Let's go to year 20. Year 20 in my 1090 policy, I got 197,000 of cash compared to 233 in cash over there at my, 10, uh, at my 4060 policy design. So literally, you got over $35,000 of a cash growth difference over here, 
and you're getting that cash growth difference just because you decided to wait think long term and create yourself an ongoing warehouse of wealth here let's fast forward let's just go to year 50 let's see what happens in year 50 year 50 when this person is 88 years old in the 1090 policy you got 787,000 of cash value that's in there compared to your 4060 policy design you got 1 million and 79,000 that's almost a $250,000 plus difference between the two illustrations And all you did was to decide to give up a few beginning early years so that now you can have more in the later years. Because here's my question as well, y'all. If you had to pick a time where you wanted to, not wanted to, I don't have the proper words for this, but hopefully my thought comes out okay. If you had to pick, like almost like a would you rather question, Would you rather have more cash in the early years or would you rather have more cash in the later years? Which one would you pick? How I would answer that question, and I understand some people may be different, right? Maybe you are living that financial hamster wheel and you're in that debt cycle and you are living paycheck to paycheck. I get it. That's when 1090 policies might make sense for you. But if I had to have an option, I am in my prime working years right now. So I'm okay to give up the early years right now because then I know in the later years where I just simply don't want to be doing as many hours sitting at my desk or doing as many strategy calls all day every day. I know that I'm going to have an efficient machine that's going to be generating me cash growth and I want that cash growth to be efficient on the back end because I don't want to be working and going out and and producing new income that's going to be coming in, right? I don't know. Hopefully that helps too, but that's just something that I think about as well. Now to go back on that comment that I just made, like a, a 1090 versus a 4060, I've said it before, yes. They do have their time and they do have their place. Like I mentioned, if I'm working with a family that's in that financial hamster wheel and they are just simply living paycheck to paycheck and they need my help getting out of it, a more paid up additions, more added to the paid up additions policy design may be beneficial for them right now. But then get this, their second policy that they start Maybe it might be designed more as a 4060, more of that long-term growth, right? Or maybe it's that person that, yeah, you know, they are 65 years old. I get it. You don't got 30, 40, 50 more years to be able to use the cash and the banking process what as what's coming from these policies. So I'm going to design you a policy, more dollars going towards paid up additions than what they are going to the base premium. I may design it something differently than what I do my own personal policies because I'm not in my 60s. I'm in my 20s. I'm I'm in my prime working years right now, right? So needs and goals are just different. So I do not believe that there's one silver bullet out there. I'm going to say it all day long till I'm blue in the face. There is not one silver bullet out there. You just got to communicate your needs and your goals of what you're looking to do effectively and clearly with that person that you're working with. And that person that you're working with, if they're going to be teaching you about banking and the infinite banking concept, I firmly believe that they just got to be an infinite banking concepts practitioner through the Nelson Nash Institute. And this is all that they do all day long. Because no offense to y'all out there who want to be serious entrepreneurs. I love it, but I don't know how y'all do it. I cannot be an expert in real estate, in the infinite banking concept, in fashion design, and do all of those things and be experts in all of those different arenas 
and not have, and, and, and I guess know all of the nuanced details of each individual thing and their industry and all of the things that come combined to being an expert within that field. So that's why I personally, I'm just going to stick to one thing that I know, like, and understand. And then if I have people who come to me that want to talk about real estate investing, who want to talk about taxes or their child's college education and the different state programs that are out there. I'm going to turn you and refer you to other people who are experts in those fields. And that's all that they do because they know all of the details, the ins and outs of those things. So that's why I just believe I'm the cardiologist within the infinite banking space, because this is all that I do. This is all that I've known and all that I've grown up with. Yes, I'm very knowledgeable in other areas out there. And I will have that um, good educated conversation with you. But but if you're going to call me up and want my help on forming an LLC or, or help on forming your trust and your foundations and stuff like that, I'm just not your girl. All right. I'll refer you to people that can help you, but I'm just not your girl that because I just don't know all of that stuff. I'm not an expert in that. And I'm still a student in a lot of those areas as well. And so. I just put it out there that I highly, highly recommend that you just work with somebody that this is 100% of what they do so that they can really lead you down the right path. Because like I mentioned before, there's a lot of agencies and practitioners even out there who are talking about this stuff and that they just have a firm belief that 4060 is the only way, 1090 is the only way, and there's no way in between in the middle of that. No, that is not the right idea and right mindset to have. You just got to structure something that's great for your benefits, your family, and your needs. Okay, I'm off my soapbox again. Let's get back to it. Let me get back to the numbers here. I want to compare death benefit now. What is the death benefit difference between the 1090 policy and the 4060? So I'm sitting here, year 50, age 88. I got a 1.1 Let's just call it 1.2. 1.2 million in death benefit over here. And at year 50 over here, I got a $1.3 million death benefit on that 4060 policy design split. So I don't discredit my base premium because I know that base premium, that is me building my foundation and it's going to start kicking up and thriving in cash. And yes, it just takes some time, right? Think long range is what Nelson Nash teaches us. It's just going to take some time to build up that, that cash growth that's coming from it, but don't discredit your base premium because I promise you in the end of it all, you are going to be farther ahead from a cash value perspective and a death benefit perspective from just building a stronger foundation within your banking policy. So now I just want to talk about my thoughts on the 1090 and why why I just personally don't hold any in my own personal portfolio. None of my dad holds any of these policies of his 28 that he has. He doesn't hold any 1090 policy designs as well. The reason being And I mentioned this before on past topics, y'all, I have two podcast episodes that are already live out there right now of my part one and part two of the 1090 discussion. But just real quick, let's just recap. The reason why I'm not a huge fan of it is is because you are violating some of Nelson Nash's teachings that you're not thinking long range. And number two, you're eating away at some of your insurability that would be open for you to start more policies with. But because you got to add on this term rider to that policy, you're buying yourself a whole boatload of death benefit over here that later on when you want to come and you want to keep funneling more dollars through the policy and you can't that you have eligibility to go out there and get yourself more policies because you have that death benefit that's open to be able to get you more policies here in the future so one thing it's that term rider number two as well it's us 
being able to keep funneling more and more capital through the policy as time goes on. Because when you're forced to drop off your paid up edition riders, because remember y'all, you're not going to be able to keep putting in that paid up edition riders for the whole entire life of the contract. If you do that, you're going to jeopardize your um, um, way to be able to keep funneling more cash through because your paid up additions, they're going to fall off and all you're going to be able to keep putting in towards that policy is the base premium of the contract. And so you want to have a place to keep funneling this cash flow that you're going out there and producing because isn't this the whole idea of why you're going out using your policy money? You're going to use it to go out, take your cash, go put it to work for you and then and when it's out there working, you're generating more cash. Where are you going to store that money? If you can't store it in your existing policy, all right, well, now I got to open up an additional policy. So now, number one, I'm just starting the time clock over again on the compounding growth that's happening inside of that policy. And then number two, I'm adding on more of that death benefit. So hopefully I'll be even allowed to get that extra coverage. Because remember, and I'll talk about this in an episode coming up here shortly, you are limited to the amount of death benefit that the insurance company will even give you. All right. So just how you can't over-insure a car, you can't over-insure a body. I have a story of that, of one person I shared on the past episodes of that happened to her and she was not a happy camper, right? And I just couldn't get it through her head that, hey, if you keep doing this, you are going to jeopardize your future ability to just even get more policies because you're totally maxing yourself out on death benefit right now because you have to have to have to have the 1090 policy design and there's just no other way to do it right so go back you can listen to that story so so that that's another reason is is that you're gonna be you have to add on all this term Term's going to drop off, the paid up additions rider's going to drop off, and you're going to have a need to want to warehouse more capital inside of your banking systems. So now you either got to go out, go get more policies, hopefully you have room on your body, hopefully at that future point in time you didn't come into any health concerns that you can get more policies on your body, right? So j- just a lot of things there to think about and, and just to understand more of the nuances that, that comes from those types of designs. But have I designed them before and have I issued them before and given them to people? Yes, I have. Because they went through all of the action steps to make an informed decision about what a 1090 policy design really is and they understand. So now when they come back to me, they say, hey, Hannah, you know, a 1090 policy, this is really just going to meet my needs and goals right now. Um, but on my second policy, I'm going to do something more like a 4060 because I understand I want to use this retirement later in life just to safely warehouse my liquid cash and things like that, that I understand why I need a place to store that money in the future and later on. Great. You know, just certain things like that. All right. Sorry, y'all. I don't know what happened there. I guess my camera just turned off. We're getting better at it though. (laughs) Okay. So now I want to get into the series of the show where I want to tell y'all my favorite designs, what I would personally do. We talked on the very extreme sides, right? The 1090 versus the 4060. Y'all, did you even know that you could go in between those designs? Whoa, now we're getting fun and quirky and cool, right? You could do a 25-75 split. You could do a 30-70 split. You could do a 35-65 split. You could do a 50-50 split, right? You could do one of my policies, my first ever ones, where dad designed it 60 base 40 paid up editions, right? I mean, there's so many different things of what you could do with inside of these designs and structures wise that, um, you know, there's a time and place for all of these things. So what, what I would do is I would, when you do have a strategy call with one of us over here, it could even be me. All right. I mean, you have full access to me. Y'all just send me an email. Um, but when you do hop on, just have a list of what your goals and your needs are and kind of where you're at right now. And then I know exactly what I would do if I was in your shoes. And that's just how I would am going to go in and design the policy. So if you are that person, you are older, you're coming into retirement stages, you are in that financial hamster wheel of all of this debt. 
a higher paid up additions cash going towards there, a higher percentage is going to be better for you. If you are the type of person where you are just looking to store your cash somewhere, keep it liquid, savings for maybe taxes, vacations that are coming up, or a new car that you want to go buy, or a down payment on the house. A policy that has a little bit more of a stronger foundational base in it, that's the policy that's going to be better for you. You could even design these policies where like what Chris Noggle always calls them, because you all know Chris Noggle is a part of the team over here at the Money Multiplier. He always talks about the Slayer designs. Well, what in the hell are the Slayer designs? All that is, it's the max split between the base and the paid up additions without having to add any term writer to it. You could even do something like that. So again, that's why I think it's important to work with somebody that this is all that they do so that they know what to do when you come to them saying, Hey, here are my problems. Can you help me find a solution and get me out of this financial mess or, or help me build on my financial empire that I already have right here. Right? So my favorites, my favorites really are the 4060 design and dump bins. All right, let's talk about dump bins real quick. Now, here's what Chris Noggle calls them. The He calls it the rock illustrations, okay? That is just his word that he comes up with. He comes up with a lot of ideas and words and stuff. But, but all the rock illustration means, it's a 4060 policy design and you're just adding a dump in in the first year to that policy. Now I say again, I have an episode that I talk all about dump-ins, okay? So go back and watch it, but here's the high levels. A dump-in is nothing more than just anything that we're putting into the policy that's over and beyond the ongoing premiums that we set. So we set our ongoing premiums at 10,000 a year. But let's make believe that you have a cash bucket that's just sitting there not doing anything. Maybe it's savings sitting down at the central banks and you're understanding that, oh my gosh, Hannah, you're right. I don't want to keep money down at the central banks. I don't want to do business with the banks. Or maybe you got money sitting in a 401k and you just lost $70,000 last year because of what the markets are doing, right? So, so maybe you have like some cash that's just sitting there and you want to move it into a safe, protected asset. So you come to me and you say, all right, Hannah, you know, I like this banking stuff. I want to do it, but I only want to do 10,000 a year. I also have this chunk of uh, cash. Let's just make believe it's 50,000. And I want to put that 50,000 into the policy as well. So can I do something where I dump in the 50,000 and then just keep my ongoing premiums, the 10,000 a year? Yes, there is. So that's what I call a dump in. Dump in is anything over and beyond the ongoing premiums. So if you look at my screen here, this is what I call a dump in policy design. If we walk through this policy design and compare it to the last ones, let's just see what's going on here. So in year one here, you put in your 60,000, you have a cash value bucket of 54 and some change. In year one, if you take that 54,000, divide it into 60,000, you just got a cash value growth of 91%. 91% is what you have available that first year. That's higher than your 1090 and that's higher than your 4060 with no dump ins. You go to year five, you got a cash value bucket of 98,000. In year five, you have a, a cash increase by 117%. All right, that's what you put in. You have a cash growth of 117%. Year 10, keep going. Year 10, you got 167,000 of cash. You have 152% that you could be taken out and using that 152% cash growth in that 10th year. And please pause this episode, look and study the numbers if that is the type of person and that's your learning style that will help you best. But, but look right here what's going on and compare the different illustrations here. 
Then if we just skip down, let's go to year 50 now, year 50, you got a cash value bucket of 1044000 1044000 that you could take out and use compared to your 787 and your 1090 policy design. You are really getting the best of both worlds when you're doing a dump-in policy design like this. Because number one, you're getting the high cash liquidity that's coming out of the policy in the early years. And then number two, you're keeping the sustained growth in the later years. That's what's happening with a policy design like this. Because you're not having to drop off a big chunk or boatload of the paid up edition riders and you're still able to keep funneling funneling in all of that base premium foundation that you're setting there with inside of the policy. So just a few things to just kind of think about when you're going in here. I really did this video for my folks who have these questions a lot. Um, I, I, I get it almost weekly y'all I get one or two people that come to me asking me about 1090 versus 4060 versus dump ins and what do they all mean so now before we end here today let's cover Nelson's five rules Nelson tells us don't be afraid to capitalize don't steal the peas AKA, if you're going to be borrowing from your banking system, you better have a system in place to repay it back and repay it back with interest. So don't steal the peas. Think long range. Don't do business with banks and rethink your thinking. In my humble opinion, a 1090 policy design really does violate five of these five principles here because number one you're scared to capitalize you do not want to have that high of a base premium because you are still thinking about it as a payment instead of a deposit into your banking system and it's hedging you against that afraidness to capitalize isn't it pretty funny that everybody's so gung-ho to go deposit money into other people's banks but you're a little scared to capitalize on your own bank and you bring in the characteristics of stealing the peas. Most of the time, my 1090 folks, they are not the ones that are paying back their policy loans and they are the ones that are taking, taking, taking from their policy and have no plan or action to pay back those policy loans. So again, some little asterisks between all of those things, but when I'm grouping it as a whole and as a majority of when I'm having these conversations with the general public, this is what I'm finding. Y'all just aren't quite there on the thinking path of where you need to be. And hopefully this episode is giving you more enlightenment of why I think the way that I do and where I'm coming from when I'm thinking about this for the long term of me really building my banking business within my life. So What I want you to take away from this episode is I want you to really understand that there's no right or wrong way to do this, y'all. Even if I have somebody that knocks at my front door and they have a 100% base premium policy, most of the time I'm telling them to keep that contract because it's a great appreciating asset that they can also use within their tool belt, even if it wasn't designed on the forefront for this banking concept. You know, so, so just understand where you are at right now. Be honest with yourself. Have that open and honest conversation. Write down your goals and then just think to yourself, I mean, where do you want to be in five years, in 10 years? Okay. Really think about where you see yourself within the future. And then when you hop on that phone call with your mentor on the team over here, the money multiplier, they will walk you through and say, Hey, if I was in your shoes, this is what I would do. What are your thoughts on this? Does this meet the needs and goals of what you're telling me? And then just to have that open dialogue conversation. I also agree that as as working with an infinite banking concepts practitioner, it is important to read and understand the policy illustration. So I'll tell y'all, when I'm talking on the phone with somebody, in the first initial strategy call, 
We go over all of your questions. Hey, this phone call is for you. What specific questions do you have for me over this concept, how it operates, the policies, etc. Right? We'll talk about that first. Then the second thing we start talking about is where are you at right now? What drew you to this concept? What are your needs? What are your goals? And where how can this policy fit into the picture of what you're doing? in your day-to-day life right now. And so that's what we'll talk about. Then what we gotta do is we gotta get approved for the policy, all right? So our first steps is that you gotta get approved for your policy first. That's when I like to come back and really dive in deeper into the numbers, the illustrations, and all of those different sort of things, okay? So, because I do, like I mentioned before, I think it's important that you understand how to read your policy, the illustrations, the cash flow of what's coming from the policy, and um, and then kind of just take it, day by day, right? And hear me out, y'all, you are not going to know every single detail and thing that there is to know about life insurance, about the insurance company, even about the infinite banking concept. Things are going to come as time goes on. And at the end of the day, you just got to hop in the pool in order to learn how to swim, right? You can't learn how to swim by sitting on the sidelines and your floaties or on the benches, just watching people swim, right? Dad has always taught me too, Hannah, the wealth train is moving down the tracks. It's going to keep moving down the tracks, whether you're at the station or not. So I just believe that just start somewhere, you know, start at a comfortable premium that you know that you can do, keep up with, and you just want to test out the water kind of get your toes wet, start that, start there. And then from there, you can always expand your banking system and and always add more policies onto it as time goes on. Another thing to mention too, I mean, when you are working with me, I'm not just going to give you this policy and then sail away, change my phone number and say, bye, see you later. Hopefully it all works out. No, I'm not going to do that. You hear us talk all day long about the implementation and the mapping team. I mean, the I team is really there because they are there to show you, hey, how can I use this in the practical circumstances that I'm in my life at right now? So they will be there to help walk you through and and go through life with your banking needs. So three to four times a year, y'all, if I don't hear from you first, you're going to be getting a call from me or your implementation specialist specialist just checking in. How's family life? How's business life? You need my help on anything? What's going on right now in your life? All right. So they will always be there. And that's a free service that we do. When you're over here working with me, you do not pay me a single ch- a check, a dime, a dollar for anything, right? I mean, I get paid directly from the insurance company. The implementation team, they're just a part of the money multiplier. That is a benefit of you working with us over here is that you have full access and and guidance to the resources and the tools that we build for you to really help you become efficient within your banking life. Because I promise you, y'all, if you really understand how this infinite banking concept operates and works, you're going to come back saying, Hannah, you were so right from the get-go. I need to start putting all of my money funneling it through my infinite banking policies. All right. So, okay. Now, just real quick before I end this episode, um, I want to tell you a little a little bit about my personal policy portfolio. So right now, I got five policies. I'm putting in close to seventy five thousand a year as my own premium. I think that's pretty kick ass as almost a 24 year old doing 75 grand a year, right? So so that's where I'm at, but I didn't start there. Remember when I was 18 years old, working as a waitress at Cracker Barrel, there's no way I could do 75 a year, okay? I started my first policy at $400 a month. So start where you're comfortable at, okay? But my first policy, it was designed 60 base, 40 paid up additions. That's what I did, 60 base, 40 paid up additions. Then my second policy, it was 40 base, 60 paid up additions, okay? Third policy, same thing, it was a 40 base, 60 paid up additions. My fourth policy that I got, 
That one was actually, it was some a policy that I actually bought from somebody. Somebody was going through a divorce. They just could not keep up with their policy. And again, this only I see happen within year one and year two of someone's policy contracts that that's really the only time that they're canceling or surrendering their policies is because they're in the first couple of years. They're not at that dollar for dollar portion quite yet of cash out, uh, cash in, cash out. So, so he just came into a big financial catastrophe going through the, the divorce and just couldn't keep up with the premiums. So I took over the ownership of that policy. And maybe that's an episode I talk about, you know, of, of buying policies from people. Okay. Cause you can do that. But I took over the ownership of his policy and I have that policy now that I'm now using to this day still for my banking needs. That one's designed a 25-75 split. All right, so 25 to the base, 75 to the paid up additions. But that's the only policy that I have that's larger than a 40-60 split. The only reason that I have that split the way that it is is because it wasn't my policy that I designed on the forefront, you know? So, and then my last one again, 40-60 split. So I got three 40-60s, one 60 base, 40 paid up additions, and then the other one is a 25-75. So that's just what I have in my own personal portfolio. And I'm always open. I mean, I'm here talking to y'all about what I do in my day-to-day life. So I'm happy to share that information with y'all as well of what's in my personal portfolio and just to share what I'm doing with my policies. So, okay, I had some listener writing questions today, but I'm pretty sure I covered them um, going through this. One of the listener writing questions was, how do I know what policy design is best for me? Kind of answered that, right? I don't think there's any one silver bullet out there. So just really have your, where you're at right now, the needs and goals of what you're trying to accomplish and just have that written down so that when you talk with your mentor over here on the team, that you guys can have an informed conversation and they can tell you, hey, that this is what I'm going to get you approved for. And then um, another one is about, you know, uh, covering to, to find a new mentor. You know, the company is important, but the mentor is even more important, right? So I, I just think, you know, have somebody help you that's practicing what they're preaching. I, even in my investment life, that's what I do too. I ask people, I say, well, hey, are you doing this? How's your experience with doing this? Okay, that's the best thing that you can when when doing anything in your life. It doesn't even have to revolve around money stuff. So, all right, well, I'm going to head out before my camera wants to throw another fit at me. So I hope this episode helped y'all. I hope the images helped. I hope the graphs all helped. And the big high level of this, I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. Hey, let's maybe play a game. Take a shot for every time I say there's no one silver bullet out there. (laughs) All right. No, I'm just playing with y'all. So, okay, well, tune back in next week. We have some good, fun information coming for y'all as well. If you have questions on this stuff, reach out to me. Hannah, spelled the same ways, forwards and backwards, Hannah at themoneymultiplier.com. That's my email. You can find me on all the social media platforms, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, um, the other ones that are out there, <laughs> go find me out there. Follow me. You can follow the Money Multiplier accounts as well. And um, until next time, I just ask you all to ask yourselves, are your dollars making sense? See you later.